You're listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find ways to get involved, go to citylightsouth.org.au. We're going to be talking this morning about encouragement, the ministry of encouragement and comfort, which I think uh, dovetails nicely with what we're saying and the things that we've already said this morning when it comes to, to Father's Day. And so if you're here this morning and you come in and you're feeling uh, a sense of sadness or loss, you're feeling discouragement, then I just want to welcome you here. And I want to welcome you here in the presence of the Lord and in his people you belong here. And I am glad that you are here this morning. You are here for a reason. Um, And so let's press into what the Lord has for us this morning. We're in this series called Watch Your Mouth, where we're talking about the power uh, and potential of our words. Um, Over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at, you know, as we start out with kind of the negative, how our words can harm and injure people. Last week, we looked at how God changes our hearts And as he renews our hearts, as we walk in repentance, how then, and we remember who we are, how then that leads to new, renewed, transformed, life-giving speech. So today, I'm going to start this series of three practical applications of what it means to speak like a Christian. Today, as I said, we're talking about encouragement. We're talking about what it what it is, uh, what it's not, what encouragement does for us, where it comes from, and how we get started. Um, But before that, you don't have to raise your hand unless you really want to. But I'm just wondering, is there anybody in this room who you would say honestly that you have had too much encouragement in your life? Anyone? No one. Not surprising. Everyone. Um, I think this was uh, there's a guy in the States that founded um, one of the largest um, fast food uh, chains over there, a company called Chick-fil-A, if you've ever heard of it. He's a Christian fellow. And somebody asked him, you know, who is it in your life? Who, what, what is the, who are the people that need encouragement? And he's basically like, yeah, anyone with a pulse. Anyone with a pulse is somebody, if they're breathing, they're up and they're moving, they need encouragement. Whether they, even if they look like they're always smiling and never have a bad day, you know, those people need encouragement too. The vast majority of people, if you ask them, would tell you, if they're being honest, that they are hungry and thirsty for well-spoken, well-thought-out words of encouragement from people who really know them. Um, A guy called Edward Welch writes in his book, Side by Side. He says this. He says, as a general rule, we will not be able to have growing relationships in which we help other people unless we see the good in them and they know we see the good in them. In other words, if you want to have deep, happy, lasting friendships, relationships with friends, family, you have to be able to see that, uh, the good in that person and then communicate, speak out what you see. It's the lifeblood of any human relationship. Encouragement. Seeing and speaking the good that you see in that person. So w- why is this so timely? Well, relationships everywhere are suffering. There's this myth that I used to believe, and maybe you do too. If I was to ask you, who are the loneliest people just generally, not the loneliest people you necessarily know personally, but who are the loneliest people in the world generally? They do surveys on this to ask people to um, answer whether or not over the past period of time they've experienced feelings of isolation and loneliness. Consistently, the group of people, the demographic of people that says that they have experienced loneliness are people between the ages 
of 18 and 24. Does that surprise you? I mean, I used to think, you know, think, oh, loneliness, you're thinking people who are at the end of life and a lot of, you know, maybe their spouse and significant friends and parents have all passed away. And, but no, the people who express loneliness the most on these studies are people between the ages of 18 and 24. And, and you think, well, well, maybe it's because they haven't, you know, they haven't found their significant other yet. And perhaps that's true for some. But I would argue that young people are feeling more and more lonely. And this is true. You see these numbers have ticked up over the past three years during the pandemic. Um, in large part because technology has convinced a lot of young people that two things are true that just are not. Number one, that you can experience deep connections with people through a screen. And number two, that you should be able to find deep connection without a lot of effort. Both of those things are not true. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not against social media at all, and we'll talk about social media more in a couple of weeks, but social media does not lend itself to deep connections, the kind that we're made for, the kind we're created for. We're created for face-to-face -face embodied relationships, and those relationships, if they're worth having, it takes a significant amount of effort. One of the missing ingredients in a lot of friendships today, especially among young people, is frequent steady encouragement. Um, you can't have growing relationships without it. It's seeing the good in, in other people and then speaking it out. And what we want to see and what God wants for the world and especially in the church, we're a picture of what the new community of heaven is going to look like. We want to see this epidemic of loneliness and isolation and despair replaced with an epidemic of encouragement. When I was 15, um, I left America for the first time. I was gone for four weeks. I actually turned 16 um, in overseas. Uh, I went to a summer camp uh, for three weeks on the shores of the Black Sea in Russia. Um, this was 1995. It was four years after the fall of the Iron Curtain. And when we were there, we were surrounded by young people of all ages and everybody that was there, that was, they were just really excited and, and hungry for anything American. Um, especially if it was like 1980s, like culture, loved it. Um, and so here we were, a group of 100 American teenagers among hundreds of Russian teenagers that wanted just to hang out with us. And we were there to promote friendship and cultural exchange, but also as Christians, we were there to look for ways to share the gospel. And I, I remember the very first time I sat down to walk through a gospel tract, like a piece of paper, if you've ever had one of those. I had to, we had an interpreter there because we didn't speak each other's language, um, and it felt awkward. Um, we were actually there because there was a basketball game going on. Both um, this other um, this other young guy I had connected with his name was Vadim. Both of us were tall and very uncoordinated, so we were right there on the sidelines watching others play. But it was a, an opportunity to to share, and. Uh, you know, we, we hit it off, but thankfully the interpreter helped us, you know, smooth out some of the awkwardness. Um, you know, after a few conversations like that through the summer, I was super drained. And you just don't know, because, you know, it's not like you're in a situation where people are, are, are you know, saying, yes, I, I want to follow Jesus and walking down, the, you know, and praying at the altar. It's not that. It's just these little conversations, planting seeds, and you don't necessarily know what's going to come of it. And... Um, Toward the end of my time at the camp, I was in my dorm room. There was a bunch of us staying in dorms, and this guy is an older guy. He was in year 12, and he was from California, so I thought automatically super cool. And he comes up, he walks across the room to me, 
And he, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, Tyler, he said, I see you. You're a, you're a silent servant. And I was a shy, introverted kid. And, and, and that was like, it came out of nowhere. And it was not, you know, thing that you do as young, young men. But God prompted him, I believe, to, to say that. That, 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 and in, in that moment, I wasn't just hearing what he said, but it was the word of, of God saying, you know, the time that you've had here is not wasted. I see you. And I, I want to tell you that those words changed not only my day, but really the course of, of my life. Just a simple sentence of encouragement. Knowing that my Heavenly Father saw me in that moment, that, that he could use me, that he was doing a work in me. To, it changed my life. Encouragement. I don't, I don't want anyone hearing this series on our words and, and, and think, man, the, the biggest thing that we want to focus on is, is, is just making sure we don't hurt people. What I want you to see is the potential of even simple words to be used of God to change someone's life. Ordinary people speaking ordinary words. Next week, we'll talk about prophecy, which sounds a lot more religious. This week, we're talking about encouragement, which is something that all of us can do right now where we are. So let, let me pray, and then I'll, we'll get into the rest of the, the message for today. Lord, thank you for being the God of all comfort, the God of all encouragement, Thank you for making us who we are, giving us the situation, the families of origin, the experiences that we have. Lord, that we might use those things to speak words of, of life and hope and healing into the people around us. God, we ask that you would come now and, and open our ears and our eyes to what you'd have to say to us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the text I'm going to be speaking on today, and, and really this is just a message on one very short text of Scripture. is in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, the words are up on the screen, so it's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 to 11, and let me read from the CSB. Paul writes, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. So what is encouragement? Let me set up the context for this passage, what Paul's saying here. Paul is writing to a church, as he often does, in a place called Thessalonica, which is a church in modern-day Greece, that he planted um, by preaching the gospel there. And one of the key things that Paul preached whenever he preached the gospel was to say that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back soon, sooner than you think. Um, he says that when he comes back, everybody who is in Christ, everybody who has believed, everybody who has confessed that Jesus is Lord will be saved from hell and judgment and will go to be with Christ forever. And the Christians in Thessalonica that he's writing to, they believe this. They believe this with all of their hearts. If Jesus comes back tomorrow, I'm going to go... Be and be with him. But then they had a question a qu uh, and a f that developed into a worry, that developed into a full-blown fear. What about the people who die before he gets back? What happens to them? 
and they weren't sure. They thought, you know, they, 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 they'd been going long enough that they'd had funerals in this church. People had lost parents and, and grandparents, and they're thinking, they, they were faithful, I think, they confessed, Jesus is Lord, they're Christians, but what happens to them? Is there any hope for them? And Paul writes to them and says, yes. Yes, there's hope. That when Jesus comes back, the people who have already died, the people who, he says, are asleep, he doesn't mean literally asleep, he means dead, those people are going to be raised, and they're going to meet Christ first. And then the rest of us who are still alive, then we'll meet and we'll have a big reunion. And Paul's encouraging them with this truth. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but instead to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. And who's the us? It is the, those of us who are alive and those of us who have already died. Whether we are awake, living, asleep, dead, we may live together with him. That's the truth that encourages our hearts. See, encouragement, if you want to know what it is, simply, it, is, it has to be grounded in truth. It's grounded in the truth of the gospel. The hope that we have as Christians, the hope that we impart to other people, hope that's based on a future reality. Jesus is coming back, and we will be with him forever, whether we are alive at the time or have already gone, uh, uh, fallen asleep, already died. See, we grieve now, those who die, but we grieve with hope. And Paul says, if you know this is true, if this is what you in fact believe, encourage one another with these words. Speak these things to people who need to hear it. Don't let people sink into despair, particularly in the church. Don't let people sink into despair without regularly hearing and reminding them of the gospel. Let me say this. Why is it important for our words of encouragement to be based in truth? I mean... Sometimes you, you might think of situations where you'd, you'd want to give someone a bit of false hope, a little bit of escape from the harshness of reality. Think about, you know, the soldier on the, on the battlefield, and, 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 and you know, it's, the battle is, not, is looking pretty grim, and the people, the soldiers start talking to one another and talking about, you know, what it's going to be like when they get back home and, be, and are reunited with their loved ones again. And, and, and sometimes that kind of talk is actually, um, it, it, it actually gives them a better outcome in the battle, but sometimes it's just escape. But listen, we who know the gospel, we who know the gospel, you have truth. You have a... a a bedrock of truth that no matter how bad the battle is going around you, no matter how hopeless your earthly circumstances might be, you have a hope that can never be destroyed. And you don't have to spin a web of lies. You don't have to slip, slip off into some kind of escapism to escape from the grimness of your situation. You have a hope that is an anchor for your soul. Your soul is anchored in beautiful truth, the truth of the gospel. Encouragement is always grounded in that truth. And notice the word therefore in verse 11. This is true. This is the, the foundation. This is the anchor of the gospel. Therefore, encourage one another. Encouragement flows out of the gospel. It has to. 
You know, you might have heard the, the, the passage in Ephesians where Paul says to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. How do we often use that phrase? We often use the, that speak the truth in love as like two things, speaking truth and love, as opposites. Or at least as somewhat, you know, um, complementary, as in they're kind of different things. Like speaking the truth is like eating your veg, right? It, and then and doing it in love means putting a bit of butter and salt on it. It, it kind of helps it go down. It's something unpleasant, truth, love makes it a little bit more tolerable. But that's not how Paul is meaning those. He, speaking the truth and love are not opposites at all. Love is not the sugar that helps the medicine go down. Speaking the truth is love. Love is truth. Why? Because both of them are a person. Truth is a person. Love is a person. The same person, Jesus. And so that, when we encourage one another, we are walking and speaking like Jesus, who is the truth. We're speaking the truth that we see in people through the lens of the gospel, and in so doing, we love people. It's the heart of encouragement. It's why it's, I think, especially disappointing and even heinous for Christians who know the truth, who've been saved by unfathomable love, would um, ever resort to trying to sort of encourage people with lies, with fiction. How do we see this? We see this with flattery, okay? Flattery is not encouragement. They're two, it's a very different thing. Flattery is speaking good that you don't actually see in a person, uh, usually with the intent to get something in return. The heart behind flattery is often selfish. What can I get out of it? It's, you know, relationship credits. Maybe I want some flattery in return. Um, Satan uses flattery. He, he lies to Eve in the garden, telling her that she is so close to being like God. Just, just eat this fruit and it'll happen. The truth, though, is so much better. The truth was so much better for Eve. God loved Eve so much that he would call into the garden over and over and over again just to see her. And when the flattery helped her, like, it, it made it so she couldn't see the truth anymore. That lie put her heart in bondage. So another example of what encouragement is not, it's not flattery, it's also not false hope. Um, I wish I could say that Christians are, are never guilty of this, of offering false hope to people. There's um, the two ways we do it. One way is we direct people to the wrong prize. We direct people to the wrong prize. We, we confirm to people that God is not enough to satisfy. Because what you really need to be happy is to get married. It's to have a child. It's to get your dream job. It's to get your bigger house. It's to get that, that holiday None of these things is guaranteed in this life. You know, your Father in Heaven knows how to give good gifts to his kids. Jesus said that. Sometimes good gifts come wrapped up in funny packages, setbacks, sorrows, suffering. We want to direct people to the right price. Second way we offer false hope can be, is even more direct than this. And it's when we claim that we have special knowledge from God. And again, we'll talk more about this next week, but I am old enough to know people who were told directly by other Christians that they would fall pregnant, that they would be healed, 
from an ailment, that they would meet their love of their life because God told me. There's a name for that, friends. It's, it's Christian fortune-telling. Don't do it, ever. You will misrepresent God. You will take people's eyes off Jesus, and you set them up to see God as a liar. It's a really serious thing. We don't ever go beyond the promises that we see articulated in Scripture. And one of those promises, one of those promises is that we will have trouble and sorrow in this world. And that when we do, Jesus is there overcoming the world, having overcome the world. He is the anchor, sure and steady for our soul. He will get us through the storms, which are temporary. The truth is, is that that this truth is what really gives us that adrenaline for our souls that we need. So don't exchange this for the, you know, the fluff of Christian fortune cookies. You know, speak truth, speak love, speak the good you see in people, ground them in the eternal hope of the gospel. And when you do, you're going to put steel in their spines. Steel in your own spine. So what does encouragement do for us? Why is it so vital? Again, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up as you are already doing. The word encourage there in Greek is the word parakaleo. That word can be translated encourage, but it's often translated with a different English word. It's the word comfort. What's the difference between encouragement and comfort? Really, it's only a matter of the circumstances. Comfort is simply encouraging someone who is in the midst of deep sorrow. The action's the same. It's intentionally speaking the good you see in a person and then and grounding them in the hope of the gospel. I said before that it puts steel on the spine when, you, when we do it well. But encouragement's more than just speaking the basic truths of the gospel. It's speaking specifically to a person, to a real person, and seeing with eyes of faith what God is doing in them. Um, like the guy I mentioned earlier, who's brave enough to sort of walk across the room, press through a so, you know, what's kind of a cultural barrier, as, as it were, and speak something that God had put on, the, on his heart. It's, it's not just fluff. The Bible says this, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, which we've been looking at. He says, encourage and build up. These two things go hand in hand. If you encourage a person, it will build them up. It will make them stronger more resilient, more ready to face challenges. They will last longer, go farther, and be more able to strengthen other people. Listen to Proverbs 12.25. says a very similar thing. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. You want to bring joy to an anxious friend, to one of your kids? What does it take? A good word of encouragement. Anybody here on a diet? Keto? The carnivore's diet? That's my favorite one. Vegans? Anyone? Okay. Book of Proverbs has another one for us to try. I haven't seen a book on this, but here it is. I don't know how marketable it is. It says, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste, and health to the body. A diet of pleasant words. You want to be healthy? Gorge yourself on encouragement. 
We know this, right? It's kind of like the food pyramid where at the bottom, you know, you're supposed to eat, what, five to seven serves of whole grains and vegetables a day for every one serve of sweets at the top. When it comes to our words, um, for every serve of criticism, we need many, many serves of encouragement. Um, it's not just true for kids. It's true for all of us. And it's not, this proverb's not just a metaphor. Encouragement actually makes us mentally and physically healthier people. So according to scripture, encouragement makes us stronger, happier, and healthier. Um, one more thing I want to add, and this comes from 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. We read, Blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves received from God. Remember I said before the word comfort and encouragement are the same word in the original Greek. So our God is the God of all comfort. He's the God of all encouragement. And when he encourages us, with words, circumstances, that gives us the strength and the ability to then encourage others who are then also able to encourage others. You know, we can get in habits of speaking in certain ways. And those habits, you see, good ones, are contagious. If uh, your parents or your mentors were encouragers, there's more chance that you will be as well. But then what if the opposite is true? What if you had parents or teachers or people in your childhood who were, who were not encouragers, who were discouragers, who were critics or harsh or abusive? What hope do, do we have? The good news is that in Christ, in Christ with the Spirit's help and the encouragement of your Christian family, you can break that cycle. You can break it. You're not condemned to repeat the pattern with the next generation. You can learn to speak life and health and peace to your kids, words that strengthen their bones, put spring in their step. And let's praise God for that. Praise God that we can create the Christian families that we never had because we have a Father in heaven who is the Father of encouragement cheering us on, singing over us every step of the way. So I want to get practical. Where do we start to practice encouragement? Some of you, if you're like me, words don't always flow. It doesn't always come easy. It feels awkward. Like, but, you know, like any new habit that you're trying to form, it's not natural at the start. Good news for the less verbose in the room is that a lot of good encouragement can actually be nonverbal. Sometimes it's just showing up can be hugely encouraging. Maybe smile, a smile, a fist bump, a hug, eye contact when listening. Man, this is not just um, wishful thinking, too. We see this in Scripture. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, he's, he... Um, he, he, all of 2 Corinthians is really, he, he's talking about how sad and anxious he is. Do you know why? Because he had written this other letter, 1 Corinthians, and then another one in between the two that we don't have in the Bible, where he was having to tell them off. 
<laughs> there was all this craziness going on in the church, and he's writing this letter and telling them off for it. And then he writes two Corinthians going, oh, guys, um, I, know that was, I know that was a hard word. Can we still be friends? He's trying to, to sort of rebuild what he fears may have been destroyed. And we read this. 2 Corinthians 7, 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, who encourages, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. What's going on there? He'd sent Titus, his friend, to check in on the church in Corinth to see how they were going, to see if they wanted anything to do with Paul. And guess what? They did. They had repented of their sin. They were so thankful for the, that Paul had the courage to, to speak truth in love to them, to love them well. And Titus came back and told Paul what God had done. He just showed up. Titus just showed up. And he was, Paul was so encouraged. Lots of subtle ways to encourage one another. Being quick to say thank you. Learning to listen well. You might not even need to say anything other than, I, I'm so sorry you're going through that. As parents, you know, I often think that I have to spout off wisdom from on high to my kids. When sometimes the best thing that I can do is just keep my mouth shut and listen and be there on the floor until they know, really, in the depths of their souls that they're not alone, that we're on the same team, that they're loved, that I'm not going anywhere, even when they've made bad decisions. You know, the resolve to move forward from our bad choices, it, it almost never comes from shaming or condemning. It comes from swimming in the deep waters of grace. And sometimes all is needed is just to sit and be with a person. When it comes time to speak words, though, we can start with the Bible. We have a whole book, 780,000 words, remember, that we can encourage one another with. There's examples in the Bible. There's actual examples of, of real people in history commending other people in their hearing, boasting about other people. It's a terrible sin to boast about yourself. It's a beautiful thing to boast about someone else and encourage them in that way. If, if you know in the, in the Old Testament, we don't have time to look at it, but David, you know, spends a considerable amount of time praising the, his mighty men, the soldiers who sacrificed their lives and livelihoods for him and the well-being of the nation. And he just praises and praises them by name. It's beautiful. Jesus, if you think about uh, when Peter tells him that, you know, you are the, he kind of blurts out, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Peter's like, Jesus is like, whoa, man, you, God the Father revealed that to you. How good is that? You see how Jesus encouraged him. And he didn't puff him up. Paul tells us in Romans 12, verse 10, it's kind of almost shocking. He says, you want to have a competition for the competitive people in the room? Here's one. How about you outdo each other, one-up each other in showing honor? How much can I encourage you? I bet I could encourage you more. So that's a competition worth having. Take the lead in honoring and praising other people, seeing the good in them and speaking it. Lastly, who do we start with? Start with the people closest to you. Maybe your partner, your kids, your parents. 
Dads, encourage your kids. Kids, encourage your dads. Not just on Father's Day. If words might be too hard, because I understand there's a lot that we have to work through often in these relationships, but, you know, you can try writing a letter. It's old-fashioned, but, man, it's powerful. If you're wondering if all this is just flattery, you know, just a bunch of pop psychology that doesn't deal with the big issues of sin and repentance and forgiveness, I want to just remind you again that the gospel we preach every week is what writer Mark Chansky calls the ultimate encouragement. It's a word of encouragement. It's good news. It's good news. And the good news is not ultimately that God looks and sees the good in us and says that's good enough. No, the good news is he looks and he sees the good in Jesus and says that's good enough. That's more than enough. Welcome to the family, all who believe that it's good enough. Uh, Chansky tells the story of his Christian friend, a guy called Glenn, who was dying of cancer. And toward the end of his life, Glenn was often discouraged and afraid. And he would have these moments where he would hear the voice of, of Satan reminding him of all of his sins, ticking them off one by one, saying, heaven is not meant for you. Heaven's meant for other people, better people. He had this Bible verse, just one verse that he'd written out on a piece of paper, and it was, he would clutch it in his hand. He would have to uncrinkle it and read it, but it was just Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That promise was Glenn's only hope in those moments leading up to his death. And it's, it's your hope and it's my hope too. You cling to that tiny scrap of a promise. And friends, you can shut the mouths of lions. Fear, anxiety, discouragement will melt away in the face of that simple, beautiful truth. There's no condemnation for anyone who by faith in Christ Jesus is totally and forever forgiven, cleansed, adopted, safe, made new, brought into a family. If you're here today and you are discouraged and, and doubting, wondering if Jesus could love you or if anyone could love you, can I encourage you with these words that if you believe that Jesus is king, that he is alive, then hell is not for you. It's not for you. Your home is in heaven with Jesus and all of his kids for God did not appoint you, brother or sister, to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, your Lord. And if no one's ever told you that, then let me, can you hear it now? That one day when you die, you will stand there locking eyes with him. And you will hear the actual voice of Jesus himself that that's, that's your future. He is going to welcome you home. He's going to direct you and lead you to your place at the table. That's the ultimate encouragement, and it comes from the voice of Jesus himself. If you're, if you're a Christian and you're part of his church, you're part of this church, then can I implore us to be known as a people who don't hold back when it comes to encouraging one another? 
What we believe and the reason we gather is the ultimate encouragement. So let's be liberal. Let's be free. Let's be embarrassing and awkward in our encouragement of each other. You know, the Spirit is pursuing the hearts of absolutely everyone that you see in this room and everyone that's not in this room. So would you be the one to tell them that they matter to Him and that they matter to us, that they're loved, that they're invaluable? You know the words of life. You have those words, the gospel. So let's serve it up to a world to the people that we see every day who are so hungry and thirsty. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you encourage us, and we so need it. Thank you that the gospel is a word that says that we are not condemned. We need not be ashamed because we are new creations in Christ. We're being made new. We are clothed, not with filthy rags, but we're clothed with the beautiful robes of the king himself. God, help us believe that. Help us believe the, the implications of the gospel all the way down, all the way down to the level of our ordinary conversations with, with our kids and our spouses and our neighbors and our parents and our coworkers. Lord, as we come to the table today, encourage us again with these words that we are not destined for wrath, but because of your wrath that was poured out on Jesus on the cross, we then can obtain salvation and life and hope and peace. God, help us believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another message from City Light South Church. You can find out more about our church and connect with us at citylightsouth.org.au.